Perfect. Thank you so much. My name is Matt. I'm an alcoholic. Amen. Um, and uh, we're grateful to be here. I'm glad to be here. I thought we would share a little bit about what life was like, what happened, and uh, what life is like today. I um, thought I would start off, and then Steve, if you want to share a little bit about your story. Um, so I'm 38. Uh, my sobriety date is March 1st, 2018. So that is a little over four years and one month sober. I've offered drugs and alcohol. Thank you. Um, my life is totally different. If you, to- if you told me five years ago I'd be speaking to a treatment center, <laughs> I wouldn't know what you're talking about. Um, I, I've, uh, when I was drinking and, and drugging, it got to where, you know, it started out fun. It started out where I, I needed to do it in college. I needed to do it in, in high school to fit in, and, and uh, it, was, it was fun. There was no problem with it. It got to where uh, I was in a fraternity and I, I was drinking all the time, um, smoking weed, taking pills, uh, uppers, downers, you name it. And when I got out of college, the party never stopped. Uh, it, it just kept going. And my, it, I didn't really think I had a problem with alcohol though and, and, and drugs because there for a while I, I took a job and I knew they drug tested and so I was able to stay off drugs but my my alcohol definitely increased and my overeating definitely increased I gained like 40 pounds overnight it seemed like when I stopped using uh, certain pills so looking back on it I could see that this addictive behavior um, from being an overworker at a at a young age to uh, just being obsessed with things was kind of a trend my whole life and it it just kind of migrated from different areas. Uh, When I hit rock bottom though, I I had $330,000 in debt with business and personal debt and credit cards, lines of credit from banks, Uh, had my own business and uh, I had customers that were suing me I had a wife who had changed the locks on the door of the house and took my daughter and lived at my mother-in-law's house for a little while. Um, life sucked. It really was bad. I, at one point, when I got kicked out of the house, I lived in my Tahoe um, so I could smoke weed all day long, all night long. You know, I'd park at, a, at the shop lock the gate behind me and just say, I'm going to sleep here. But really, I just smoked and passed out, smoked and passed out, and used drugs and passed out. So um, I, when my wife kicked me out of the house, I didn't realize it at the time until I went to the bank to go make a withdrawal. She had been in communication with my uncle, who was 30 years sober in AA, and he advised her to what they call raise the bottom. So she was advised by him to take all the money she could out of the bank account and move it to my mother-in-law's account. So we had a savings account of 30 grand that was our emergency fund we were never gonna touch. And I, would, and I, I had already drained it twice for drugs and alcohol and business expenses as I would call them. 
And uh, every time I took it out, it was justified. But really what was happening, I was just using it to go buy more bags of dope and uh, buy more bourbons, it handles a bourbon. And, uh, but I was also working like hell. (laughs) So everything I was doing, I felt like I was doing it for the right reasons and the family. I I didn't really intentionally mean to drain and go bankrupt. I didn't mean to, and I didn't file bankruptcy, but I lost everything. Um, And that's when I knew like, there's there's a problem here. There's a major problem. Never forget one night I came in from a big business deal. I was gone all day. And the look on my daughter's face when my mother-in-law pulled her away and, and was like, no, don't go near him, don't go near him. And, and I came in the door and I'd been high all day and using and drinking all day. And I just wanted to come home and take a shower and go to bed. But they had an intervention on me and, and uh, my mother-in-law, my, my father-in-law were there to keep my daughter away. But that look on her face, you know, she was four at the time and uh, just crushed me. Uh, Not only was I affecting me, but I was really hurting my family and my daughter. And that that, that was one of those, you know, flags in the ground that's like, okay, this is an issue. Um, And I don't want to all talk about the down, bottom, bottom, because when time is short, we're supposed to talk about the solution. Um, I'm very aware of that, but just wanted to give you some context of where, where I came from. Um, my, my wife and I went to marriage counseling uh, when we were in this rut, thinking that that was the problem, that we just needed a little bit of guidance, needed a little bit of therapy as a, as a couple. And the therapist pretty much looked at me and was like, I can't help this until you get help. And I got pissed, of course. Uh, and what do you mean? I'm, I'm not the problem. You know, she's the problem. She's doing all this. I, I was the victim. I was the victim, and I was in this victim's mode and, and mindset. I, I wasn't w- willing to um, hang up the shovel, as they say, and stop digging a hole. Um, when when I hit rock bottom, like I said, I ran out of money. AA and treatment was the last house on the block. There was nowhere else to go. I had nobody, no no family wanted to help me. Dad wasn't gonna give me any more money. Uh, Mom was the only one that would take my call. And every time I talked to her, she would say, "I, you know, we're we're not here to talk about your wife and your and your mother-in-law. I'm here to talk about you, and you need to get help. You need to get help." And so. Uh, she suggested one day, or no, no, let, let me take that back. Uh, more like that happened several times over many months. This wasn't like a one-time thing. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to get help. Uh, the final time though, my dad showed up after I'd been on a bender. My parents showed up and they went, had gone through my car because I pretty much came in mm-hmm. one night, passed out. And uh, the next morning I woke up to my uncle that I mentioned was 30 years clean. Uh, he and my dad were going through my Tahoe and they had pulled out the safe where I had all these credit cards and all the weed and all the drugs and all the, they had pulled it out on the counter um, and had gone through the Tahoe trying to figure out what all I was on pretty much because I was just out of it. Um, and that morning they convinced me 
let's go get help. Let's go to the, the hospital. So I went to the hospital and, and it, it turned into going to a treatment program. I went to a treatment program and, you know, now I look back on it, I'm so grateful I was there. I'm so grateful for that time to really disconnect and not have the access to those same people, the same circle of people that I was always with. Because at that time, I didn't know how to cut, up, to cut the cord of the drug dealer. Didn't know how to cut the cord of the, you know, not going by greens and buying more bourbon. You know, I, I didn't know what cycle to get out of because that was my cycle, you know. Um, when you're in a hamster wheel, you don't know how to get out unless you just move one way or the other. You know, you got to get out of the wheel to stop running. I, and the harder I ran, the worse it got. That was a distinct thing I remember. The harder I worked, the worse it got uh, until I finally surrendered. I, I went to the treatment center and, and they said, after going there for a while, they said, the way you get out of here, because I could tell I wanted to get out of here, they said, you, you get hooked up with an addiction therapist and you, you get involved in a 12-step program. Said, Sign me up, I can do that. They get me out of treatment. Um, and so I, I went to a treatment program, I went to this um, addiction therapist and after meeting with him once a week for several weeks, he finally slid this book across the table and when I turned it over, it was this big, thick book, Navy cover, turned it over and it said, Alcoholics Anonymous on the front. And I said, shit, and I put it down. I said, what are you saying? You know, talking to my addiction therapist. I knew I had a problem with Adderall. I knew I had a problem with pills, Xanax. I knew I had a problem with, uh, with, with uh, weed and drugs, but I'm not gonna take away my alcohol. You know, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I do it every day. <laughs> Hello. Um, so he said, all I would ask you to do is just be open-minded and read a little bit and try to relate. That's all I want you to do. Just read a little bit and come back the next week. And, and if you highlighted anything in there, we could discuss it if you want, but just read it with open mind and see if you can relate. Well, when I read through it and I was in, I don't know if anybody's read it or not or seen it, but there's this section called the doctor's opinion. And that really changed my life. The doctor's opinion was where this, this doctor said that alcohol, alcoholism equals, it's like a formula. Alcoholism equals a physical allergy plus a mental obsession. And I was like, ah, oh. and it talks about people that are allergic to things. Well, I, I've been allergic to shellfish since I was a kid, and I, after eating shellfish, the allergist said, let me be very clear to you, after almost dying in the, in the red lobster from eating all-you-can-eat crab legs one night, he said, let me be very clear, uh, you're not going to build up immunity and uh, build up tolerance, excuse me, like, you, you don't eat one shrimp today, two shrimp tomorrow, three shrimp the next day, and then all of a sudden you're unallergic to, to shellfish. You eat one shrimp, you could die. Well, I, when I read in the doctor's opinion in that chapter early on in the big book, when I read that and, and he said that it's a physical allergy plus this mental obsession, it clicked for me. It's like, hey, this is just like a guy with a peanut allergy. They don't touch peanuts, <laughs> you know, and, and if they do, they could die. It really helped me 
think that way because when I go to a restaurant today, I don't sit there and explain to the table why I don't drink bourbon or why I don't drink beer. I don't explain to the table. I just, you know, I don't explain to the table why I, I don't eat shellfish. I just order a steak and a baked potato. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to go into this long explanation to people. I just don't do it. Um, but that, that little part changed my life because I've always had this mental obsession about things. I've always, whether it's overworking or sports or games, like whatever I was involved in my whole life, if I'm on it, I'm on it. And if I'm not on it, I'm not on it. You know, So it just kind of clicked that I did that with alcohol and drugs. I didn't realize it because it took years to develop into this downward spiral. Um, so that was kind of like wh what life was like and what happened. Um, I went to my first AA meeting and there was this guy who, when it, he told his story, I related. It was exactly like my story. He had a drug problem. It wasn't all alcohol. And afterwards, he agreed to be my temporary sponsor. So for the next 30 days, he, he said, hey, why don't you call me every morning at 7 a.m.? for the next 30 days and, and let's just talk, you know, catch up for a few minutes and then we'll just t take it by you know, temporary basis. And that, that was a game changer for me because I had nobody in my life to, to talk to, nobody that I trusted because I felt like everybody was sabotaging me with trying to put me in treatment and things, uh, taking my money, taking my, <laughs> taking my kid away. I didn't trust anybody. So when this guy told me, hey, let's just talk, and I, I'm here to listen and try to help, and I knew he had no stake in the game, he wasn't trying to take anything from me, I could open up and tell him what was really going on. I would have worked the steps. I've worked all 12 steps. Um, each one of those steps, I, I, I took it slow. Some people take it real fast, and I heard early on when people were talking about their stories, they talked about, so I heard many people talk about how they worked them half-ass, I worked the steps half-assed and then they relapsed. I really didn't want to do that. I was trying to, I, I started to rebuild my life back together when I was getting sober. And so I had the approach that I was going to take it at my own speed. Um, so this guy really, um, whenever I would share something with him that I did and I had shame about, he was able to, tell me something back that was worse than what I did <laughs> most times. So it was this, it was this interesting exchange to where like, I wasn't the only guy that had done this <laughs> and I wasn't the only guy that, that could, you know, maybe find his way out of it. Um, I started going to meetings at first once a week. Uh, that was all I felt like I could do was work and all the other things that I was doing I, I didn't realize how many I didn't realize you know how people fit so many meetings into their schedule <laughs> that when you hear people talk about it um, today I've learned to really think about it within the next 24 hours revolve my life around AA and the rest falls into place and it, and I really mean that like I start off every morning saying the third step prayer um, on my knees in, my, in the kitchen while the coffee's going uh, or hot tea, whatever. And I, I, I do a little prayer. I try to do five minutes of meditation every day. 
I've got a little checklist in my journal. I've got a journal. I like to write a gratitude list of at least 10 things I'm grateful for every morning. I haven't missed that in, you know, maybe half a dozen times in six, in, in, in four years. Uh, and it's a simple list of like, I am grateful for, I am grateful for. I heard at one time somebody say, to make that first one say, you know, I'm grateful for my sobriety yesterday. Starting off with a win that just being sober yesterday is a major win for us. That today, I've got my wife back. I've got my daughter back. Um, my, my relationship with my family is, wife and daughter are closer than they were when I was drinking and drugging. I'm not in fear today of leaving my cell phone in the kitchen counter while I go take a shower open. You know, I'm not fearful of riding in the car with my daughter and her wanting to play a game on my phone and flipping out because I don't know what she's looking at, you know what text I have with a drug dealer, what text I have with a, uh, a person I was hooking up with, you know. Uh, so lastly, I want to talk for a second about this onion because I learned that there's an onion in, in, in my recovery. And, and each time I peeled a layer, I get a little bit deeper into this core of this onion. For me, the outer shell was the drugs. I knew I had a problem with that shit. I had to stop it. I had to stop that right away. That was that was hard. Once I got through that, then it was alcohol. Because I was, like I said, doing that every day. Uh, I peeled that layer. The next it was, I, I gained, well, when I was on pills, I lost a bunch of weight. I was skinny as hell, you know, on it. The amphetamines uh, lost a bunch of weight. I lost 40 pounds, looked like a skeleton. I was white as could be. Have photos of those today. Then when I got out of, of uh, treatment and I flushed all those down the toilet, uh, I gained 40 pounds like that. So I had a food problem and uh, I needed to work on that a little bit. So I, that was that next layer in was food. Uh, after that, was the money. I, I, I had major wins and major losses and major wins and the, and the losses and wins kept getting larger and larger. So where the loss was so large, I had nobody else, no more banks loaning me money, no more family loaning me money, it was over. So I, I, there's a 12 step program for that too. So, so I worked on that little problem. Uh, then I had sex and love issues. So I've done a lot of work with S programs, um, you, you know, not trying to steer the meaning away from that, but the point is once I got sober off the drugs and alcohol, things got clearer and clearer and clearer, and I could see where there were other problems, and I could spend a little time focusing on that, or a lot of time uh, focusing on that. Right now, I'm, I'm focusing my efforts on, I was just sharing with Steve, I'm, I'm focusing on, uh, and I'm still, I'm still meeting with my addiction therapist after four years. You know, I'm not cured of this stuff. Right now, we're working on... Uh, what they call ACA stuff, uh, adult child of alcoholics. You know, it doesn't mean that my parents drank all the time, but they say if parents have addictions, whether it's overeating or uh, your parents were you had money issues, or if they had uh, other overworking issues, that they are the same as an alcoholic because that neglect and that trauma from childhood is still there. That's what I'm working on now 
is working on that, that trauma from a childhood. So I'm trying to go back and, and uh, heal that wounded child, as they say, and list out all these traumas that, that happened that I'm trying to work on. So uh, life is really good today. I've got a good job. Um, and I'm here to share the message that you can get clean, you can get sober. But as my therapist told me, when are you going to hang up the shovel and stop digging? And, and I, I wasn't ready to surrender until I was ready to surrender and give up. So thanks for letting me share. I appreciate hey, it. Thanks, man. I'll see you in my hall. What's up, Steve? Um, thanks for your story, Matt. I appreciate hearing that. Um, Matt and I are um, completely different people, however, we've got some similarities. And I think that's what you'll find with a lot of other addicts and alcoholics, is there's a few things that you really got in common. Like, one of the things that I got in common with Matt is, is the fact that once I start doing a substance, I just want to keep on doing it. And they're like, shit, if it feels this good with one, let's do two or three. And it's really feeling good. I never, the problem was, I never knew when to stop because there, after four or five, it was not doing me any good, it was actually decreasing. Um, and so, but I didn't have that kind of control. Um, I think a book, big book calls it self-will run riot. In other words, you can't, you can't rein yourself in. When you do something, you just want to do it. And it could be with a lot of different things. Um, so uh, that we have in common. Um, and so I started when I was young, probably 12 years old, and I didn't uh, fit in at the school I had gotten to. I was new, we just moved there. And it was like way down in the country. And these people, you know, they didn't like outside ideas or outside people, you know. So they had to, they had to um, uh, get used to you. And in other words, you had to beat somebody up. So um, they 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 picked on me for like probably nine nine months, probably six months. And um, so at that point in time, I was ready to do whatever it was to fit in that I could. And so you know, I started smoking cigarettes with these guys. Um, and um, I had, I mean, it's totally not me. I had, uh, I mean, I was competitive swimmer for eight years before I even got there. And uh, so that was the last thing I really wanted to do, but damn, I was willing to do any damn thing to not to be uh, bullied. And so, um, so the summer came and um, I said, well, I'm getting ready to go into ninth grade. And I'm like, there's gonna be a ton of people I don't know there. So. Um, I figured I need some skills, you know. So my brother was eight years older than me. He smoked weed, and I'm like, I'm just gonna learn how to smoke weed, and that way I'll have, um, you know, I have school, a, a, a cool skill that I can, um, I can be cool with. Anyway, um, what I found with weed was that it kind of insulated me. I don't know if y'all smoke, but yeah, it was like being in a padded room. You're not gonna get to me. If I'm, if I'm smoking, if I'm high, you know, because I wouldn't give a fuck, you know, and I just would blow it off and just say, you know, go to hell and I'd be okay. I'd go someplace else. And that, 
that's my was my main way of coping with any kind of uncomfortable situation was that was my go-to man and i got high every day all day um for years and years and years i'm 59 now and i got high every single day until i was 50 and i've been i've been sober since i was 50. and um so therefore i didn't really learn how to deal with life just with nothing you know and that always made me feel uncomfortable and my journey in sobriety has been learning how to deal with life um at sober and um i went to um a retreat with these these fools over here uh, a group that um matt belongs to uh, called the all-in group here in columbia and um it was 20 guys and we went to the beach and we just hung hung out together and um and it was all an aa thing well you know i knew i was going to feel a little bit uncomfortable being there um because you know if i was even in a crowd i kind of would need to have a drink even if it wasn't alcoholic i just need to have something in hand because it made me feel uncomfortable and um so uh i knew that going to this retreat was something that i really needed to do i need to figure out how to do this one last time feel comfortable around people um or be okay with being uncomfortable because every damn person who's sober out there also feels uncomfortable when they get into a group of people very rarely you're gonna find somebody who don't feel uncomfortable so um i needed to i needed to do that and figure it out and um so that was my first step was going on this men's retreat um and um so i think what happens is that in sobriety you start to figure out how you're kind of defective how, what things bother you what um and as a matter of fact you see them much more clearly because you ain't always wasted um so um so you work on them and uh, you go back to all those things that it's kind of like going back through your history all those things that bothered you whether it was a girlfriend or whether it was um your parents were not so cool or whether you did terrible in school or whether you you know all these things you, when you're sober you go back and you start correcting those things because those are the things that are going to cause you to drink again Okay, because when the pressure gets on, and life's always going to do that, life just don't get sunny when you get sober. It, it's always going to be screwed up in some days. And um, so when the pressure's on, that's when you go back to using. And I don't want to do that. I'm too damn old for that. Okay? I'm, uh, May I have your attention, please? This is a PA system check. Testing, testing, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, so um, um, these are things that that I, I you know I'm doing now to kind of make a comfortable life. You know, I mean I, I'm 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 getting better as it as it is. Uh, um, but see, I, I I would go to therapy when I was having trouble with my wife. Uh, and just like Matt's therapist uh, told him, look, we can't do nothing about this until you do something about that. 
because everybody knew I, you know, I got wasted every day. And all, I mean, I worked in a hospital, and I, I was stoned from, from the moment I got out of bed. Mm. I went to the parking garage at lunch, got, got high again. As soon as I got back in my truck um, from getting off, I got high again. And then I got high all, you know, every other hour maybe, um, and started drinking until I could go to sleep. And um, so, uh, you know, the problem was, was that I couldn't understand what those counselors were saying were good ideas. And I thought maybe I wouldn't even try to try it. But while I was using it, I was freaking powerless to do it on a regular basis without screwing it up so much. Um, anything that you have in your life that needs change, it takes consistent and prolonged effort to change any damn thing. It ain't just, I got a good idea and I was good today. You know, it's like one day after another. May I have your attention, another. please? This is a PA system check. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, one, two, three. It works. <laughs> it works. It works. It works. It works. Um, so, um, you know, because I had gotten sober a couple of times before just by myself. I never went to AA or anything. And, um, but what happened was I was still really um, obsessive and I, you know, I kind of got lonely. And I said, well, I quit for two years. I must not have a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, same way you did. So, so I decided that I needed to have some fellowship with some people. And so I was going to get high because that's the only way I knew how to do it. And um, that was the only way I was really going to feel comfortable around people, to tell you the truth. So um, that would start me off rolling, and it'd be years and years and years, and I'd have to lose a few things before I decided to quit again. I'd have to wreck some cars and lose a couple jobs um, before I would think that maybe I ought to stop. So um, when it got to be when I was 50, um, I just been I went and picked up my friend who I used to get weed from, and we went to the strip bar and we hung out for two or three hours, and then we're driving home and. I thought I was driving pretty good. I actually was driving okay. It's just I had a taillight out, and of course, you know what happened. Yep. And uh, you know, the weed these days is very, very strong in the way it smells. You know, it, it's like there was a, a time back in the '80s where weed just didn't have much smell. I don't know what it was—a different strain or something. But this weed went to the old. Colombian gold weed that I used to smoke in high school in the late 70s that just had a really really sweet smell so you can't describe uh, you can't um, you can't hide it so anyway he pulled me out did the field sobriety test and um, I, I passed but he said I'm still going to have to uh, I already had six beers I don't know how to pass that thing but um, he said I'm going to take you for possession and so I went downtown and uh, Alvin asked Glenn, and they put me in a cell by myself. Thank God, didn't want to be with other dudes. But um, 
you know, because I was, you know, I never been to jail before, um, except for just overnight. And um, so um, I looked, and the, the cell had four freshly painted walls. And I'm like, damn, I can't even read any graffiti <laughs> to get my mind off of what just happened. And so I'm like, you know, if doing what I'm doing got me here, if I turn 180 and 180 degrees and go back the other direction, let's just see what happens. Because I still wasn't convinced that it was the alcohol and the drugs that would make me self-destruct. I just thought I made bad decisions, okay? If I hadn't have done this or hadn't done that, I wouldn't have got caught. I wouldn't have lost that job or whatever. But anyway, um, so I got into AA um, a couple months Let's see, it was a couple months later. I got into AA, and um, in the preamble, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And even a person like me knows what thorough means. You know, I could sense it. If I was gonna do it, I was gonna do it, and I, and I did it. And I said, well, I'm gonna work these steps because that way, I'm gonna work on good, I'm gonna do everything you guys say, and that way when it doesn't work, I can say, well, hey, shit, I tried. I mean, I did everything I was supposed to do, and it just didn't work. And that was eight years ago, so it fucking worked. Um, and uh, I'm not gonna tell you that my life is completely uh, wonderful, but you know what, I can deal with bad things now. You know, I don't have to get high. I want every feeling that I, I'm supposed to feel even the bad ones. Um, I don't want to cover it up. I don't want to mask it. I want real life. And um, that is the best gift that AA ever gave me, um, was the fact of being able to deal with life on life's terms. Because we don't get choices in life, right? Life just happens to us. And can we handle it? And, uh, and not only can we handle it, can we have fun doing it? Can we be glad that we're alive? that we have uh, a chance to live another day. I'm truly, truly happy. My, my wife has got a brain injury right now. She can't remember anything that happened from one day to the next. And she didn't do it, she didn't cause it. She, um, she's always been on straight air, worked at a law firm, and, and was a smart person. I figured out it too, it was one I was needing to do. And so, she uh, got a parasite when she went on a business trip and uh, something else wrong with her that she couldn't eat for about five more weeks. Then what happened was her intestines and her stomach got paralyzed from gastrophoresis oh. and she couldn't eat for another four to six weeks. Well, long story short, she got uh, brain damage from the lack of B vitamins to her brain and it's what alcoholics get uh, when they do nothing but drink, 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 but don't eat, eat, eat. They don't get any vitamins. So um, what that is is that she can't remember. It, it, did you ever see the movie Fifty First Date? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's the. It's called Wernicke's syndrome, and it's the same thing that Drew Barrymore had. And um, so uh, if she and I talk about something, she's intelligent. She understands exactly what I'm saying. We talk just like we always did. That's not change. What changes, what's changed is the fact that she will remember maybe 10% of it tomorrow. Okay? 
And um, so I just keep telling her, you know, um, I know you don't remember this, but I'm like probably the best husband that's ever been. You told me yesterday I was. <laughs> I'm, I'm awesome, and you know, so anyhow, um, she actually remembers stuff from about seven years ago. Anything farther back, she remembers, but she doesn't remember um, me being sober, me being a uh, a nice person half the time, and um, so you know, every day she's got to learn that. But um, with all that being said life is hard sometimes I still won't live it and I've never been like that never I had to get high to numb it and you know alcohol and drugs cause depression and um, I was depressed as hell and I was suicidal before I got sober and um, so uh, you know and all I remember saying was you know God help because I just don't feel like I could live I was actually planning how I was going to do it um, and um, I had never thought that way before I had thought well shit you know just I want to die um, but uh, I had never started to plan and that scared me I knew that was a different level and um, so that was all in the last couple months of my drinking days and um, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves you know I don't claim to know God by name, but I know there's something out there looking for, looking out for me. And uh, when I said, God help, it happened. Okay? And all I had to do was keep following through and keep doing what I was supposed to do. And for an alcoholic and an addict, the thing you're supposed to do is go to AA. Do the steps. Try to be open-minded. Try to do what they ask you to do. And like in my case, it freaking worked. Um, so um, that's kind of kind of my story, and um, um, that's all. That's really all I got to say. Oh, that, that's you. awesome. I, we got just a few more minutes. I, I thought I would um, just talk about these steps for just a second. Um, this first one, when I first came in, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And that our lives had become unmanageable. You know, when I'm working with a, a newcomer, it's a big deal to say I'm powerless over something. You know, and, and that's a major humbling step. Uh, step one is, is like the, the step that they say you have to do right. <laughs> you know, you got to do that one right. You have to admit, we have to admit that we're powerless over alcohol. And, and what I was told to do, my addiction therapist said to change that word alcohol to cocaine, to crack, <laughs> to sex, to porn, to food, like whatever it is that you're struggling with that day, the flavor of the day, as they call it, whatever it is, if your problem is not alcohol, but it really is crack cocaine, you don't need to talk about alcohol. Tell you, you know, every time you see alcohol in the big book, my therapist said, hey, just change the word to whatever you're, you're struggling with. And so that really helped me because when I first came in, I, like I said, I wasn't trying to stop alcohol. I, I just wanted to stop weed and, and all these pills so I can get my, my kid back. That really, really, really helped me. And then it was very clear to me that my life was unmanageable. And But to be able to talk it through and write out a couple examples with my sponsor, 
some clear things to where my like some clear scenarios of where things were unmanageable that I clearly was I was out of control. I came to believe that, that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And my sponsor said to me, he said, "Are you at the point where you think that you can't do this by yourself?" <laughs> You know, something greater than you, even if just the 12 of us sitting around a table, that's a power greater than us. Would you at least go there? And, you know, it's like, yes, because <laughs> I can't do this by myself. I need help. So that was step two. And sanity, you know, what my sponsor made clear to me was how just how insane my normal day was. How insane was it that the second I woke up, all, all I could think about was to pop an Adderall and to go out back in the shed before anybody got up and smoke a bowl to start the day, every day. You know, that was, that was insanity. Uh, but to be able to, you know, have something that, that we could be restored to was quite helpful. Or, or at least know that something, you know, higher power, as they call it, will restore us to sanity. Uh, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So I had a problem with God when I came in here. I, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> you know, whoa, 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 I'm not signing up for church. This isn't church. No, no, no. Uh, and and I, what I love about this program is that nobody was trying to sell me on a religion. This is not a religious program. You know, this is a sp- spirituality program. Uh, somebody said, you know, religions are here and spirituality is here. You know, it's this much bigger th- picture. Uh, th- that was very, very good t- uh, to hear when I started out. The, for me, the homework and the work actually started when uh, step four came along. You know, making this list, uh, my sponsor had me make a list, and, and, and there's a, a distinct way of doing it, but all these resentments that I had since childhood, I worked through them. And all of the uh, sexual inventories that I'd messed up, we talked about them and worked through them. All the shame that I'd caused those people and, and all the things that I had done, we worked through those in step four and five with another person. Uh, but it was, it, you know, I, I really wanted to do it without fear. And that fear went away once I started working with this person that I called my sponsor. And I could really trust them. It's like little trust nuggets. You know, it's like a bank deposit. You know, you keep putting a little bit in each day. And all of a sudden, I had a lot of trust for this guy. Uh, these character defects they talk about in step six, you know, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I didn't know what they were talking about. Um, you know, what are these defects of character? What I learned, though, is that the goal of this step is to not just make a list of all the, all the ways I'm a loser and all the, all the problems in my life. Once I made this list though of, of trends in my life, because after I was sharing with a sponsor, it became very clear that I had an ego problem. I had a self-centeredness problem. I had, um, a lust problem, you know, and, and, all of the, I had a, a, a trust problem. I, I didn't trust people and I wasn't trustworthy, you know. Uh, so once I, I saw trends in these things, I just made a list of them in step six. And that was, those were my character defects. Well, I learned that with each of those, there's an asset that correlates with them. So 
to have a sponsor that you can work through those so that when I get back to the corner, these defects don't come out, but I can turn it and work on them and, you, and, and these assets come out. That was the goal. Um, you know, step eight, when we made a list of all the persons we had harmed, that was, that was quite a difficult step. But uh, my sponsor said in, in step eight, you know, we're not making amends to the people. That's in step nine. And that could take lifetime to, to work on. We're simply making a list. Uh, that list came very easily because in step four, when I'd made that inventory, I already had the list started so I could just start there and, and, and work on that list. And it, it was able to, I was able to get them on paper and then talk about them. And the sponsor helped me when it came to step nine, really figure out an action plan. And we didn't deal with all 50 of them, at, all, all 50 of these people I needed to go make amends to at one time. We simply took two or three at a time. You know, he had me prioritize them in, in five different ways. You know, if they're a one, I, I can make amends today if I see them at the mall or whatever. Uh, if they're a five, you know, hell no, I'm not, I'm not making amends to that person. They screw them, you know, no way. And three, eh, whatever, m maybe not today. And so I, he, he said, let's start on the ones. And I built momentum by knocking off those ones that I had really harmed, but that were easy to deal with. And I made great progress on that. I did a lot through COVID, uh, wrote letters to a lot of people. And then uh, step 10, you know, continuing to take a personal inventory. I, in my journal, I just write a couple things that I did right in the last 24 hours and a couple things that I might need to do better if there are things that that I should improve on. Uh, that's my step 10. Uh, step 11, you sought through prayer and meditation to improve on a, our conscious contact with a higher power. So just going to meetings, prayer, meditation, working on that on a daily basis is, is, is step 11. You know, 10, 11, 12, I try to do on a regular basis. That's not something that you finish and you're done with. Uh, at step 12, you know, trying to work with another sponsee. That's the exciting part of the, about this program is once we get done, it's really watching the light bulb come on in somebody's eye. When they come in, they're pale. They don't have any spirit. Their life sucks. You know, they're down and out. They're at the end of the road and see it after 30 days, 60 days. You know, it's like their spirituality doubles and their life changes and it gets better. That's the, that's the exciting part about this program at the stage I'm at today. So I thought we would close it and say if there's anybody that has a burning desire, does anybody want to share anything about what you heard, anything that you can relate to that you want to speak about? What's up? I can relate to both of y'all perfectly because I was the same way the minute I did it. I didn't stop there. I'd, I'd do more of what I was doing and add anything with it I could. Yeah, I, I relate to a lot. Because, you know, in the past three three days, that was the first time that, that a lot of us have been to any sort of, I know this is just an AA meeting per se, but, you know, just even a discussion about it. Um, I did want to ask you, though, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, how do people get to all those meetings? Know, like how did, how did you do that and how did your family react to you leaving right once a day twice a day you know however often you go sure it's a concern of mine 
right. and adding that into my bid that's already been scheduled. So uh, there are, for, uh, through COVID, one of the blessings of COVID has been there are 24-hour Zoom meetings that are, you know, a lot of times I just put in my AirPods or uh, headphones and listen to a meeting with, driving in the car because driving in the car was a big temptation for me. Everywhere I went, I'd smoke weed and do drugs and pull into liquor stores and things. And yeah. So there's that. But also there are lunch meetings. Uh, I found one that's uh, two miles from my work that I can slip away and get there about 1210 and leave 10 minutes early when they're doing the chips and all, you know, leave a little early and, and still make it back to work by one. They call it lunchbox meeting. That's over in Irmo. Uh, there's an app that you can find uh, that shows the closest meeting to you. Um, but, yeah, and you can put in where you are to find the closest meeting. I also found that for me, because when I get off of work, that's really my family time. Evening meetings are hard for me to do. I do one a, a week, which is my home group, this men's group. But the mornings, you know, there are 7 a.m. meetings at the ACOA Club downtown Five Points. There are morning meetings for people that are working. That's good folks. That, that was my concern. Yeah. Like you said, after work, dinner, and family time. Yeah. Right. Time, like, that's, that's, that's the rest of the night there, you know, for the kids and stuff. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if they see you getting healthy, Right. They'll tell go. you to go. Please go. <laughs> you need to go to a meeting. Once I got swirly, you know, in my head, and I was snapping off at my daughter, you know, which I'm still working on today. Don't do it perfectly, but I, I realized I need to go to a meeting. Yeah. The one thing that you learn when you admit that you're an alcoholic and, or a drug addict um, is that if you don't have sobriety, you don't have anything because whatever you try to hold on and put above your sobriety is the thing you're going to lose. It really is, and I think most of the time, I'm not going to say all the time, but families are really, really unfortunate about it. I think they know you've got a problem, okay, and um, they know that you need to help, and uh, so I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say that it's never a problem, but it's, it's often not a problem. Oh, also, if you got somebody who really cares about you, they're, they're yeah. like, yeah, you need to go get your medicine. Yeah, it, it, it's like taking the medicine. And I would also encourage you not to go home and explain to your wife everything you talked about and all that you're, you're, okay. you're, all you're yeah. learning in recovery. That's yeah. Yeah. Keep that to your sponsor. Yeah. yeah, because they don't relate. Right. They don't need to go to meetings. They don't have a problem. Right. My, my wife drinks every night. She drinks wine. She didn't have a problem. She can drink two of the glasses. Right. And stop. Yeah. Leave some for the okay. night. Yeah. Leave yeah. some in the morning. I found it in the morning. Like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> right. So they don't get it, and and they don't understand what we do and what why we talk about this stuff. Why we have to talk about our emotions. And, and you're and you're okay with that? The drinking at the house that's really yeah. concerning. We have a little bar. We have a refrigerator. It's got wine in it. And I don't have. I I repel it like a flame, as they say. Yeah. I don't uh, want to touch it. One, I think mean, that's once you get kind of a little bit more right. solid. Right. You know, at first it might be a little bit of a temptation, and they probably would tell you to get rid of as much as yeah. you can. Yeah. Or if your spouse drinks or something like that, not to do it in front of you um, or try to curb it as much as possible. But, you know, and when, when the chips are down, you got to stay sober for you. And this is life and death because it doesn't it doesn't get better it never gets better ever 
when he's when he's drinking drinking and uh, using it only gets worse. And um, so and you never get cured of it. It's just like this is what we are, and we know how to how to um, how to live life without it. And I swear I have a better life now than I ever did. I love life. I love I love the feelings that I get throughout the day. It's normal feelings. And if things are bad, I know how to handle them. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't break me up. There have been times when that pill bottle that my wife's got of medicine, you know, from a painkillers from a surgery, yeah. I've been in the medicine cabinet and I see it. Once I see it, I never forget it, you know. Yeah. And no, and I, I and I've said, I, I said, can we, can, <laughs> can you move that, yeah, you know? Exactly. Can you move that? Right. Yeah, so. But now. But I my problem. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's it. Um, now I go to bars. I can I can go to live music. Weddings. I, I do whatever yeah. I want. It doesn't really bother me. Yeah. Okay. As long as I know where I am right here, you know, as long as I know I got a good reason for going in that bar that's not drinking, and um, you know, you'll learn to trust yourself a lot more around substances. And uh, but you know, it takes time, and it's like all of this is just you're not talking about a, a few months of work. You know, that's enough to get started. You start to learn to live. This is your life. Each family is different, though. Some families clean out the house. Some families, you know, do it differently. I mean, yeah, that's so, so it, families, you, you can't change your spouse. You're not here to change the spouse. You can go to things like Al-Anon, which is the program where you're the family member of a, of a person that's using got drugs and alcohol. Most people that I've learned, it, most people here in these programs don't come from perfect clean households so a lot of times once we get sober now we have to go learn how to be and live and not try to change that person too you know so there's programs for that what happened to Al-Anon what do you mean oh it's strong as can be well, because we got to work on ourselves they're going to that kind of thing for us right now but anyway just like us that will support you talk to you at any time of the day and night you want you want to feel like taking a drink call them up and they'll be like yeah you know because it helps us to be able to help somebody else because it gets me out of my own self-centeredness and that's one thing that keeps you so is not to be so you know all about me gotta wrap it up here uh, I, uh, so let's end with the serenity prayer and, and, and the last thing I'll say is it is 24 hours a day just just think about the next 24 hours but many times it, for me it's it can be broken down into two hour blocks you know I just got to get through dinner without drinking or drugging just got to go to bed without drinking or drugging and that really has helped me just to think of it in little chunks of time instead of a whole 24 hours so alright let's say the serenity prayer and then we'll get out of here God Grant me the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.
Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. I'm from Canada myself. Probably one out of nine. Good to see you, man. Are there other people? You too. Nobody's from Columbia. Nobody's from Columbia. Yeah, yeah. You guys will be here next week. Be safe. No. Well, our group only does every other. See, then I'll be gone on Monday. That following Monday. Where you live? Irma. Well, Harvison. Sure. Okay. I mean, I go to church in Irmo, at yeah. Victory Baptist Church, but um, I don't know anything around here. But I do know that I will be going to Charleston probably. After you get out? Yeah, for about a year because I don't have any. I'm not familiar with South Carolina. I'm here alone. I drink alone. I don't have nobody here. So uh, I was hoping to get, you know, a copy of all the meetings everywhere for when I do come back from Charleston. Sure. Um, uh, so... All you got to do is type in Google, mm-hmm. AA Charleston, AA Columbia. And, and I know I probably should, but I was just you are, probably getting numbers before, you know, because I was getting to, numbers. I don't have a pen, uh, I'd write down yeah, my number. I don't, have, uh, I don't have a number either. I mean, I, I know they won't let us bring pencils up here neither. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping they had a marker up here, but. Um, yeah, I can keep my number. Yeah, let's, I'm mm-hmm. going to find here we go. Here we go. I got one. Yeah. yeah. I think I might be going for a year to Charleston. I'm not sure. No, I'm not going to jail. I'm not a broke thing. Uh, I had a bad year. My wife left me this year. I lost yeah. everything. Well, I bought it. Yeah. Um, of course, I don't have anyone to call or to talk to besides, of course, it's good. My pastor and my deacon. Yeah, but you, th- th- they don't always understand. Right, right. Uh, there's just one person at church. He grew up in Germany. Thank goodness. And he has been through everything. But it's not always easy. It's always okay. I can't always just talk to a Christian. Sometimes it's me to talk to completely strangers. No, it is. Right. Um, and that's I grew why I up in AA. My mother oh, is good. still a recovering addict. No, I have it. My mother's still a recovering drug addict. Before. Four places in Denver, Colorado, Oklahoma, sure. and here in um Yeah, yeah I now just call. Yeah. Yeah, or even before. <laughs> yeah. No worries. My name is Jason, by the way. Yeah, Jason. Nice to meet you. I got your names I remember. I yeah. remember faces. Yeah. Um, Where do I put this book here? Um, yeah. you know I'm not hundred percent sure. It may go right down.